0: Well, it is now 17 and a half minutes past uh, eight and welcome to the show to uh, Enzio von Feil, uh, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Good morning, Enzio.
1: Good
0: morning, Ross and Carlos. Uh, Nice to have you on the show. And yes, Carlos Casanova, uh, Senior Asia Economist, is our other guest this morning. Uh, Good morning, Carlos. Hi, good morning. Uh, Nice to have you on. Well, I guess the uh, China uh, disinflation, as one person put it, is uh, high on the agenda this morning. Carlos, what's your first
2: take on that? Mm. So, uh, headline numbers show that the economy did in fact enter um, deflation in uh, July. Um, investors don't typically look past headline numbers, unfortunately, so there's been a lot of bad news um, surrounding the data release um, yesterday. We think that despite the economy is officially in deflation, um, we, we are seeing some green shoots. Um, so first of all, a lot of that downside pressure stemming from base effects surrounding food prices, specifically pork, which was down minus 26%. And then on a sequential basis, we actually saw an acceleration in inflation compared to the month before. Um, So, CPI increased um, to 0.2% percent month on month and core inflation, which excludes the more volatile food and um, energy prices, which is what is driving down most most of the downside um, in China, so core inflation actually increased um, by 0.8% month on month, and that is up from a negative print the previous month. Um, so we, we do expect that this deflationary theme will remain in place for a couple of months, as there are base effects and and, and the trend um, on the headline numbers that is underway. But um, we don't think that it's going to last. Enzio, the PPI also
0: uh, down for a a 10th consecutive month, and and that just the day after that news that exports and imports both slumped. What what, what are your thoughts here?
1: I'm a little bit less um, sanguine than my good friend Carlos. I think that until China decides to embrace the private sector the things will continue slowing down that the they began rejecting the private sector really the 15th national congress in september of 1997 that's when the government said that it would run the economy not the private sector and that has three implications with this deflation in china one the japanization in other words it just starts really slowing down even if some inflation does pick up as carlos is pointing out secondly because of Japanization what we see is falling demand and thus wages the margins at corporates narrow their turnover falls thus wages have to go down that means that you have lower domestic demand and thirdly you have higher real interest rates see higher real rates as a tax my late mother-in-law said when rates are low the wrong people get rich and that's indeed what's happened so now, we're, now now the chickens are coming home to roost so this tax of higher real rates is going to bite into people's incomes after service debt
0: Reuters is reporting that anxiety rising, really, that China is entering an era of much slower economic growth, perhaps similar to that period of Japan's quote-unquote lost decades, which saw prices and wages in Japan stagnate, you know, for a generation. And in contrast to what we're seeing of rapid inflation elsewhere, is there any truth in that matter, do you think, uh, Enzio? Uh, On both counts, yes, because
1: Southeast Asia's gain With the relocation of the supply chains going to Southeast Asia, to Mexico, particularly, in other words, to Vietnam, and obviously Mexico is in Southeast Asia, we kind of guessed that, um, and also Eastern Europe, um, that's one, and then also, of course, the whole wages stagnation because of lower turnover, lower margins, why should companies invest, especially If there, frankly, as the South China Morning Post pointed out in an excellent exposé yesterday, if, frankly, the private sector continues getting pushed around, filled with promises but no action, particularly at a local government level, to try and and embrace the private
2: sector.
0: Carlos, what is your sense of investment, uh, investor interest in in China at the moment? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, I I think there's a few things that are... um, weighing on global investor sentiment on china first of all the post-covid recovery has been weaker than expected um, and there are fresh concerns as we are discussing today um, regarding the you know sustainability of that recovery going forward there have been a lot of measures announced but it it takes time to see these measures translate into a pickup in aggregate demand, and we are sort of waiting for that to to, to happen with uncertainty in the short term Um, On top of that you have geopolitical tensions we have been saying for a number of years that that will remain uh, one of the main drags on performance of Chinese assets because global investors will need a lot more upside in order to offset potential downside risks so for example having a company in their portfolio that then gets uh, banned by the US because it it, you know derives more than 50% of its revenues um, from national security sensitive sectors like AI which, by the way, was one of the, one of the sectors that did perform well. So um, you know, in order to offset that risk, you need at least uh, 20% uh, upside in Chinese equities, and not just for a month or two post-reopening. You need that upside to be sustained for the year as a whole, like we have seen with U.S. equities. Only then will global investors start to lag, um, and will reconsider uh, allocating or diversifying back into China.
0: What do you make of the uh, White House uh, unveiling of the ban on U.S.
2: investment uh, in Chinese high-tech overnight, uh, Carlos? Not surprising. Biden has been a lot more hawkish. Um, and typically what happens before an election is that you have a sort of truce in, in, in ch- U.S.-China tensions because the debate turns a lot more domestic. Uh, I am a little bit concerned that this time around might be different because uh, there's bipartisan support for a harsher stance on China. So what may end up happening is that we see a a scale up or a ramp up in um, containment measures ahead of that election. And that is, of course, going to weigh on, on sentiment. I don't know if the impact is going to be very large. As I've mentioned, global investors remain very underweight China. So a lot of uh, U.S. capital hasn't been flowing into these sectors in the past uh, few years, um, but it does have a big impact in terms of sentiment. And, of course, it means that capital from other parts of the world won't be flowing into that sector either. So they have to depend on domestic um, endogenous innovation to mm. get there.
0: Mm. Enzio, we were, t- we were talking earlier on about uh, China inflation, but uh, U.S. inflation data uh, out, out later today. Uh, w- yes. What's the outlook there? What, what, are, you, what are you expecting?
1: I think that consumer prices will go in line with economists. I mean, why not hide behind others? By 3.3% up year on year in this coming July. That's the day that will be reported tomorrow. The core consumer prices will be up by about 5%. I think they were up um, by 4.8%. I'm sorry. And the key one, which happens only in a couple of days, again, is the per capita prices, they are up already about four percent four-ish percent i think for july that's what they will be that's over twice the amount that the fed wants of two percent target rate so my bottom line is that i think the fed will continue pushing the rates up just a little bit especially before christmas before that election cycle really begins in earnest
0: carlos what are you what are you seeing uh, around inflation data and maybe looking towards uh, uh, what the fed might do next hmm.
2: So our house view is still that the U.S. Fed is mostly done hiking rates. Um, However, we acknowledge upside risks to inflation. So very much data dependent. Uh, Baseline scenario is that that upside isn't going to be substantial enough. But um, we are seeing some tightness in the labor market that is uh, fueling demand for services and uh, the price of those services. And of course, um, it is possible that uh, we, we will get a, an upside surprise this week. I think the risk is tilted to the upside. Uh, most likely will be a boring data print. So it will be 0.2, 0.2, 0.2 over the board mm. um, in sequential terms. Mm. Um, interesting to watch if that core CPI number goes up or down. That is where most of the volatility is going to be as most of the uncertainty is surrounding sect- services. Um, but if we do get an upside surprise, um, you can expect um, a slightly more hawkish uh, tone in Jackson Hole at the end of the month, and that is, of course, going to lead to a very different conversation mm. um, as we head towards that September meeting.
0: Ngo, here we are in Hong Kong. We're sort of in the middle, as we always are, uh, tied uh, to the US uh, economy and the US dollar, but, of course, China seeing uh, this uh, deflation. What are your thoughts on, uh, on Hong Kong?
1: Pretty gloomy. I just think that the... Um that the whole problem of, of, of guidance here is, is getting a little bit um, sort of misguided—not misguided, Not misguided but, but certainly is a it's, its starting a little bit. All sorts of initiatives, but little sort of action. Always one hub after the next. Now we're well, now we're going to be launching seven hubs. We may as well call it Hub Kong. Um, but I don't really see, for instance, in the financial services area, where we're meant to be the world leader in financial services. Well, if you can't speak English, then how does that work? We're not doing anything about vocational training, which I think would create enormous amounts of employment, particularly because the young people don't seem to want to work in this lie-down generation. So I think it's not just bad China. In fact, if anything, I think China wants us to prosper. I think a lot of this is, frankly, homegrown, and I wish that, People would, who are responsible, would just recognize that they that the the backyard needs to be cleaned up first before traveling off to Southeast Asia and to Saudi Arabia and getting all sorts of deals done.
0: Hmm. Mm. Carlos,
2: just very quickly before we uh, head to the news, your thoughts on Hong Kong? Where, where where do we stand at the moment? Yeah, well, we've had um, weak economic um, recovery in China, plus pro cyclical headwinds from tightening rates in the in the US, and of course we are linked to Fed's monetary policy. Um, so I, I am a bit uh, less sanguine as well, together with, with Enzo. Um, I will call out as well my, my fellow economists, uh, colleagues on this because the ex- forecast is for Hong Kong's economy to grow 3.5 to 5%. And I think there's a big downside risk on that number. So we I currently expect it to be 3% um, and that is mostly going to be driven by consumption as we are seeing more cross-border travel. Um, there is also a base effect in mm-hmm. the second half of the year, as the second half of last year was very negative. Um, but that is not sustainable or substantial enough to warrant uh, such a large uh, number above the potential trend. So, yeah, a bit more cautious there. Carlos Casanova is Senior Asia Economist at UBP. Thanks,
0: Carlos. And also thanks to nzf von File, our regular here on a Thursday, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Well,